This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, and I'm joined today by the usual suspects of David, Brady, and Jordan. And first time on the pod, special guest Ben Moore from 247 Sports and PantherTalk.com. Welcome, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas. Appreciate it. Yeah, so we're just actually going to kind of jump uh, right into it with starting some football talk. Uh, real quick, I just kind of want to start us off and get the ball rolling with uh, what do we see the new normal of football in America looking like moving forward with regards to some coronavirus stuff? Yeah, I think the uh, the new normal is certainly positive testing and, and seeing how uh, folks adapt to that and, uh, you know, and certainly move from it. Uh, we've seen the last probably three weeks, you know, you've had major universities, certainly Clemson has come out, University of Texas, LSU, Houston, several weeks ago. And uh, I think it's the new norm uh, and, and the reality of it that uh, we know college kids and being college kids, it's very hard to seclude them from uh, the rest of kind of uh, human humanity, if you will. And, and their college experience is going to be very different. They're not operating in a bubble um, and uh, certainly not, not prone to do that either. But uh, I think how folks navigate that process, and, and uh, I think I've read a lot of different things from folks who have said, hey, the season will start and not finish to uh, all, all the way to folks who saying, look, you know, we, we just have to figure this out. And if we finish the season with a walk-ons, then at least you get to the, the finish line. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It's certainly uh, interesting on the Georgia State front. They are not reporting any uh, positive COVID tests at all. They made that decision. Uh, and, and let anyone know that asks that they won't be getting that information and that won't be publicly releasing it uh, there. But uh, uh, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how they you know, navigate that as well. Of course, the conversation about how you bring fans in, if you bring fans in, how many do you bring in, and how that works and how that looks like uh, with kickoff just under uh, or just over three, uh, two months away. So let me put put your fan hat on here. What does Ben Moore, the fan, want to see out of the 2020 season? Yeah, the, the biggest thing is certainly want, you want football to be played. You know, you, there's a lot of optimism coming off last season. Uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of skilled position players that um, that are very, very good on, on the offensive side of the ball. I'm very interested to see how this defense looks uh, four years in now to Nate Fuqua's system. And uh, quite honestly, you have a very attractive schedule. Uh, you have uh, some interesting home games with East Carolina, uh, certainly Georgia Southern bookend at the end, uh, road trip against Alabama. Uh, I know folks have already kind of hoped and, and prayed that it could be a Tennessee type situation. Uh, Nick Saban will not let that happen. Uh, coronavirus <laughs> or not, it would probably have to level. I, I'd say probably over half of his team uh, for that game to go that way. It did in Knoxville last year, but uh, no, it, it is, um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for folks uh, like me who, didn't have football for some, you know, 18 to 20 years, um, you know, around, around there, around my, uh, affiliation with the university. So, uh, to go without a season, certainly because of a, a pandemic would be rough. And then I just, you know, want to see football and, and know how talented this team potentially can be. So uh, that, that would be the, the selfish part of it. But, uh, I also understand, uh, there's, there's things out of, outside of everyone's control, including a, uh, a, a global pandemic and a virus that you just can't contain. Yeah. Every time uh, the Georgia state has gone to a bowl game, the next year has been kind of a letdown and this would be a new form of a letdown. If something were to happen with the season, not happening, it, it wouldn't be, Oh, the team won 
three games and didn't perform as well. You know, if, if there's a separate reason why the season doesn't happen, that would be especially frustrating because it feels like, and maybe this is just me, my opinion of it. It doesn't feel like there's as much of a obvious case for the letdown just because it doesn't feel like there's aside from Dan Ellington, it doesn't feel like that much got lost. It feels like yeah, there's nothing to build on it. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that sentiment. And I think, again, you know, kind of going back to the the anchors, I mean, you you have a ton of talent coming back on the offensive line. Uh, your skill positions are loaded at running back and at wide receiver. And, uh, you know, whoever steps in this role, I mean, there's, there's legit competition uh, at the quarterback position probably for the first time in probably seven years that I, that I could say going back in the program's history. And um, definitely since Nick Arbuckle, uh, you know, before he came on campus. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting to see. And we certainly have seen as well. Uh, you have several power five transfers that are very much in the mix from Jamel Muhammad on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball and Jamis Williams, who comes over from South Carolina, Kyle Wright, who's now eligible from North Carolina. Uh, there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball and, and, and seeing that level of talent uh, in a Sun Belt team that really, really wants to go out and compete for those you know, conference championships and certainly compete for the division at the very least. Um, it's all, all in front of them, you know, and that's the biggest thing too, knowing at this level as well, you don't have, you know, four and five star guys in the backup in the wings. And I've talked with my uh, colleagues who cover the Sun Belt for 24 seven. And it's interesting. We talked about, you know, Hey, you can get down to walk-ons. I mean, one or two steps behind some of these positions pretty quickly. And if this level's, you know, even even a you know a couple dorm rooms basically. You're talking about a position group that gets wiped out. So uh, it's going to look very very interesting to see how it evolves from August to September uh, as the season goes on. I did want to ask Ben, um, do you think that conferences like the Sun Belt will play the situation this fall differently than say like a, an SEC or a Big 12 or something like that as it relates to fans and just kind of the football operations? It, it really is so complex because, you know, each state has its own guidelines. As we've seen that, you know, from one state opening up uh, kind of uh, wide open and other states taking a, a much uh, more conservative approach. I mean, we've seen up in north the Northeast, uh, you know, things have slowed down, certainly out West as well. Um, and, and, you know, as we've seen as well, these uh, these governors have just get hammered in every single state they have uh, from their constituency, uh, just saying, hey, we should be opening up like Florida. We should be opening up like Georgia, things like that. Uh, it's a great question from conference to conference because ultimately, and I and had conversations with some folks around the SEC country and then cover that league. And uh, they said, look, and basically it's going to come down to their presidents and having to make an agreement and a conversation to say, look, you know, how, how do we feel about this? And they've been very, very brash and, and wanting to get things out there. Uh, the Sunbelt kind of has to take a temperature of their own states as well. Um, as we've seen just in the state of North Carolina has been a little bit slower than here in Georgia in terms of reopening when they're reopening plans. And we've seen, you know, of course, uh, spikes and things in the last few weeks as well. So did that give those give those individual school presidents pause? Um, you know, you've gone from the Pac-12 folks saying, hey, there may not be uh, football in the state of California at all to now. Hey, let's let's back that up a, a little bit and see. Uh, where we are, but uh, it is ultimately going to come down to each uh, state. And I think you're going to see the fingers start getting pointed. Well, this president wanted it. We didn't. Um, they did. And and uh, just depending on what happens, certainly on campuses all across the country, uh, to see how, who and, and what 
uh, is handled. We've seen some of the lower level schools already uh, cancel the season. We've seen Morehouse here in town just uh, wave the white flag and say, hey, we'll try again next year. Ben, I want to kind of circle back and talk about um, specifically some of the battles that you're looking for in 2020. Um, let's kind of remove the context of the coronavirus stuff and talk about just kind of like the on paper what we're looking at with this team. What are some of the positional battles that you're watching for moving into the, you know, as we get further into the offseason and uh, approaching the season starting? Yeah, really looking uh, at that fifth uh, fifth offensive line spot. We, we know four of the five are pretty much locked in. Uh, Travis Glover, if you guys got a chance to uh, to catch up and read, read the athletic piece uh, that Coach Elliott did with Jeff Schultz, really in-depth stuff, and uh, how Travis Glover's going to move from that right tackle to that left tackle spot to cover for uh, Hunter Atkinson, who, uh, of course, is, is now a member of the Atlanta Falcons. So that right tackle spot immediately uh, comes in need position. Um, you know, to solidify and anchor that role. You have several guys that are going to be up for that uh, position, anywhere from, from Jonathan Bass, um, you know, guys, guys that have been in the program a couple of years who have been in this, in the next wings, um, if you will, and seeing that battle uh, kind of develop, seeing some of the young guys can come in. Uh, you also had guys like Jonathan Brown enroll early, uh, have an opportunity to come in and play, and uh, and how how his enrollment as a couple guys was very different. You show up in January, and then basically you're off campus uh, by March. So and we got in about a week of, of spring practice in there, uh, looking for a pass rusher as well. You know, Terry Thomas graduated after a stellar career. Uh, still looking for uh, for that that edge rusher, somebody that can come in there and be an impact guy. I uh, talked to several guys. Uh, in and around the workouts and uh, talking about this, they're trying to attack the single uh, season sack record. It's still, I think, four and a half or five, which is just embarrassing at this point. So they're looking to uh, to take that out. Uh, also looking to get some career marks as well. But I also like uh, seeing how the defensive backfield battles go. You know, looking looking to see what uh, what Chris Moore can do, the University of Virginia transfer uh, coming in and having an opportunity to jump in that safety uh, role there that was vacated by Remy Lazarus and a, a few other guys um, there late in the season after Remy got hurt. But, uh, you know, I think you know, there's there's so many positions that seem to be locked in, um, you know, but you're still looking, trying to see, okay, you know, there's going to be guys who compete for reps and have opportunities and, you know, take the, like you said, take the, take the pandemic side of things, you know, seeing certain position groups just get ravaged by injuries as well. So, uh, you know, see who, seeing who can step in that inside linebacker spot. Uh, that, was, that was vacated by Ed Kearney. Zach Dixon did a really good job as a redshirt freshman. So he come up there and, and have the opportunity to continue to grow and build from there as well. So uh, we're starting to see, uh, we will be seeing those battles and seeing these names certainly as August camp uh, hopefully get started. Um, do you think that the addition of Dan Ellington to the quarterback or to the moving from quarterback graduating now getting hired on as an offensive assistant. Do you think that changes anything for the, for the quarterback room and for this battle kind of moving into the season? I think it certainly just adds another element and you have another coach and a person you can talk to, you know, as a, as a, I've covered college football for quite some time, uh, you, you learn that most of these players get the most opportunity and time uh, with their position coach and you get get time with them uh, digesting the offense and, and two of these three guys uh, who are, I think going to be in the mix for this quarterback job from, from Claude Brown uh, as well as Jamil Muhammad uh, these guys have been in the program now over a year so they got to watch Dan and what he was doing you know certainly Claude had opportunities to play at four games in 2019 uh, but giving him that that voice okay so here's what I saw here's what you know you need to be looking at it's that next step not only just from the coach 
but to digest film. Uh, you know, once once school starts, their hours are limited in terms of meeting with coaches and things like that. But you know, to have somebody at your disposal who has done it and you watch do it, um, I think it just gives uh, that addition to to understand and help. And you know, as he mentioned, kind of being hired as well, he can work with the running backs as well. Hey, look, you know, this is going to be a, a run first offense. Uh, so he had to know where the running backs were going and where the offensive line sets are. So I think he has an impact on multiple layers um, and seeing what these, uh, whoever's going to be taking snaps under center, uh, you know, getting them another couple keys and other things to do. And that's the toughest part about this pandemic. Honestly, fellas, is, you only had a week of spring practice and then these guys were kind of tossed into the wind uh, and won't regroup uh, basically for on field work, um, you know, really, you know, into the last, last few weeks. So, so um, it is going to be a, a challenge, but I think it's an, an important thing for Dan because he's gone through it and, and he had you know a full year under his belt, knows what to look for, keys and things that way to uh, to improve this offense and, and get it get it up to the level that was 2019. I think there's guys in the system that can do it. Uh, you know, Jamil Muhammad is one of those guys who's one of the better athletes. Uh, I've called him the best athlete uh uh, under center that, that Georgia State's had uh, in his program history. And it's just interesting to see if he can uh, take that next step and, and steal the job away from Quad Brown. All right. So I'm going to transition us over and I'm going to open this up to everybody, not just Ben. So we're going to do a little like a buy sell uh, segment here. So I'm going to say something. If you buy it or if you agree with it, you'll go buy. If not, you'll sell on it. So it's pretty self explanatory. Let's uh, jump into it. So, question one top to bottom. This is the most experienced Georgia State roster in the program's history by herself. I'll hop in. I guess I'll I'll say bye. Uh, I think the closest would probably be the first bowl team because that team had some of the UAB transfers come in on the defense and had some guys that had kind of struggled under Coach Miles the first years. But obviously the quarterback situation is kind of the the uh, the elephant in the room that this is probably the, the least game experience as far as the quarterback position has been because it's only freshmen really in the equation. But everywhere else, you really didn't lose a lot. You lost one person on a very good offensive line. The defense has had struggles, but you're not going to be replacing a lot of starters. It's, it's more about there's more competition and those starters are a year older. And so I just think that Aside from anything else with results, I think Coach Elliott's done a really good job of building the roster up and adding depth and having the class balance that there needs to be. And I, I think there's a lot of off seasons under Coach Miles where it's like, oh, half the offensive line graduated. And, you know, that's something to watch. And obviously, we still have yet to see this Georgia State defense really be great. Even the 2017 team, it was it was good going on above average, but it wasn't like great 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 as far as college football standards so that still remains to be seen but it won't be because the team is inexperienced there it'll come down to results on the field ben what do you think buy or sell on this yeah i, I i'd agree and, and i'm gonna buy it just from the standpoint and, and, and made a great point there with the defense i mean the, the guys that have been in the program whether they're redshirt juniors or they're actually seniors in this uh, they were recruited for the most part by, by Coach Elliott and his staff for the system. So I think defensively, it's going to be, uh, in terms of experience, probably one of the more experienced, even some of the depth guys uh, as well on the offensive side that have gone through this Coach Glenn system. Uh, but uh, I think that's where the step forward piece is going to be. And, and that's, you know, we just keep saying it year after year. If, if the defense can just be average to above average and, and the offense, we know is certainly capable of uh, humming along in this league. 
All right. Second question. Buy or sell. One quarterback makes 10 plus starts in 2020, assuming a normal schedule. I buy that. I I know, you know, Coach Elliott has had the pleasure of working with, I believe, two guys at this point, just Connor Manning for a year and then uh, Dan Ellington. So I think, you know, Georgia State has kept that continuity at the position well. I'm sure, you know, it'll be a battle in spring to see if Muhammad wins or quad wins, but I'm not sure that coach Elliott is really interested in having kind of a two quarterback system unless somebody gets hurt or, you know, obviously if the virus, you know, stops anything, but I'd, I'd buy that one quarterback makes 10 starts. I guess in the event of, you know, virus getting in the way we could, you know, amend it to if someone ends up making like six of eight starts or whatever it would be. Um, I tend to agree. Coach Elliott doesn't strike me as someone who's going to do any half measures. I think he's going to want to pick the guy and, you know, make him a team captain, the whole nine yards and make it his team. And so I think injury forbidding, I think that whatever it is that he and coach Glenn are looking for from their quarterback, they're going to be hyper active looking at that during the fall camp and putting them in the situations to see if they can handle what they're looking for. And I think they're going to have a starter. Ben, any thoughts on this one before we move on to the yeah, next I'm one? Gonna, it's going to be three for three. I'm going to buy it as well. We, we've seen, you know, last uh, four years, there's only been uh, just, a, just a, a small handful of starts that have not gone the way of, of the name starter coming out of fall camp uh, just simply due to injury. It wasn't certainly in, ineffectiveness, and I don't see that uh, happening this time either. I think, you know, you find find a guy and you ride with him. All right. The last part of the segment, buy or sell, Georgia State is going bowling in 2020. Ben, I'll start with you. Uh, the the over-under, I believe I saw it last, last uh, pick, if you're gambling, uh, man was five and a half. Uh, I think the opportunity is there to go bowling. So I'm going to say bye. I think it's a, a six and six type season and uh, to jump in a bowl for the fourth time in, in program history. David Brady. Yeah, I'll take that. I think, I, I think that line that Ben speaks of is a little low personally. Um, but I mean, I understand why it is what it is because there are so many questions just regarding positionally and kind of the talent around Georgia state and the Sun Belt, But I think a lot of things would have to go not their way for them to at least get six wins. I think six wins. I don't know that they'll necessarily struggle to get those six for me personally. I mean, it feels, it feels like I should just be the contrarian just so we have any kind of discourse on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that I, I, think that it for Georgia State to take the step that they want to take as a program you have to put together back-to-back winning seasons and then build on that like that just has to happen at some point and going to bowls every two years with a new quarterback who puts it together isn't really going to cut it I think there's enough questions about the you know the worst case scenario is the, the defense is the same defense it's been there's lots of chunk plays given up and the quarterback doesn't click right and goes through freshman struggles. And so I think there is a path where you could see the team struggling, but it feels like Dan was a big part of last year's identity, but it also feels like under coach Glenn on offense, coach Elliott's finally kind of got his simpatico guy who they know what Georgia state offense means now. And so I think that the quarterback stuff might get overplayed because I think that they're just more of an identity of what Georgia state wants to be. And I think that'll help them. And I think that 
even if the defense struggles still some, I'd buy it just because I think that the offense is still going to have a good year. So we're going to move away from football talk and get to a little of uh, something internally we've been kind of discussing um, as some long running uh, talks about the facilities at Georgia State. So if you aren't aware to provide some context, Georgia State has been playing uh, basketball and uh, hosting you know, other events in the sports arena on Decatur Street. And for a long time, there have been plans uh, and rumors thrown around uh, about building a new convocation and a, a kind of basketball arena center um, right across from Blue Lot uh, as you go towards Georgia State Stadium. So I kind of want to open this up to kind of just a, an open conversation about one, where that kind of uh, where that was left and where the plans are at in in terms of moving forward now and then kind of uh, get some maybe discussion on how we think that the timetable might be affected by obviously some of the state budget cuts that are being proposed in the state government right now. Coronavirus has hit, uh, you know, school budgets across the board. Um, so obviously the, a big expenditure like this on the, the, the books of the athletics department is something they're going to be looking at. So. Where, where, where are we at with uh, the, any developments or updates to the facilities? Um, where are we at for that right now? So this has been something that has been very tight-lipped, at least publicly, by everyone who's been speaking on behalf of the school and the athletics department. But we do know that the state assembly voted as part of it uh, to be part of the budget for this upcoming fiscal year. So outside of that, I haven't really heard too much about it, but I would very much not be surprised if there are significant cutbacks or even delays to the project as part of this massive budget shortfall we're about to experience. But Ben, have you heard anything? Yeah, the good news is construction, uh, for the most part, hasn't been affected by that. Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the budget cuts are going to come from staffing. Um, it's not from uh, additional facilities. And quite honestly, the reason why you're not hearing much publicly and paraded out there necessarily is from the university side. And it also includes the board regents. So part of the uh, initial kind of timeline, supposed timeline, was backed up a little bit just because the scope uh, grew a little bit. Uh, you, you had uh, initially, uh, I believe, in the high $70 million range, you went over the 80 some million dollar range. Uh, from everything that I've heard, and it hasn't changed uh, really since the first part of the year, uh, was that the groundbreaking was expected late summer, early fall. Uh, and then basically construction would begin in earnest. And then the, the, the goal was to basically play a 2022-2023 season uh, in that. And I can tell you just from talking to recruits, uh, the basketball side of things, is, basketball recruiting has gone really well uh, for only the 20 class, but even 2021. Uh, the last check, I believe, uh, the Panthers class was top 15. They, they were talking about the new building. They are talking about you know trying to attract big names and big name schools into that building and recruiting to that, which uh, certainly, as we know uh, from covering and following Georgia State athletics, uh, you haven't been able to recruit to a building uh, in, in in basketball. Uh, it was almost in spite of the building. Uh, I think you'll you'll have a paradigm shift certainly in the program uh, when that happens and, and when things and certainly when Durst starts moving over there. Ben, can I ask you just to expand on a little bit of the recruiting aspect of assuming this gets built and becomes integrated and part of the kind of the athletics culture at Georgia State? What does that do from both a coaching staff's perspective of having that in your back pocket to be able to go out and tout to these new recruits? And then once they're here, you know, what what do those facilities offer them that the sports arena isn't meeting those needs right now? Yeah, it's just a tremendous advantage. I mean, there, there's 
Uh, you know, I know when, when the basketball practice facility was built, I believe only three other Sunbelt programs had such a facility there uh, and the amount of things uh, that, that were being pumped into a basketball program, which certainly had been touted and for good reason as the best in the state uh, over the, really the last seven, eight years uh, to, to kind of solidify that and continue to bring that. Uh, Coach Lanier has brought the level of recruiting uh, not only from a regional and, and, and reaching in different pockets that way, but you're seeing locally in the state of Georgia, um, you know, talking to some folks uh, that uh, covered a basketball tournament this weekend uh, on On the Radar uh, Hoop Showcase, and the Georgia State coaching staff was there in full effect, and Coach Lanier was there checking out uh, a few guys, and uh, just, just them talking about how big and bold that move is, uh, that how – and kind of the Ron Hunter vision from a few years ago of, of trying to establish this program like the next BCU, the next uh, you know, new facilities had to be a part of that. And uh, Coach Hunter had, had often joked with me, look, I've seen facility plans and I've, I've never been at the school when it actually has come to fruition. So uh, he knew that the amount of time that, that certainly it took to do that. Uh, but the recruiting is such at a high level where uh, w- without this level of facility you know, commitment, uh, they're not in front of these kids. They're they're going to other schools. They're going to bigger schools. They're going to you know high major schools. And I think that's the opportunity that certainly Coach Lanier and his staff have now to recruit to uh, a big time facility and uh, you know can have practice facilities and and really get games. And that's the next step as well. We've seen it on the football side of things where you've had you know marquee non conference games come to Georgia State Stadium and it will come in the future, uh, you're going to see that in basketball too, where teams want to play in arenas where, uh, you know, quite honestly, they're not, uh, no disrespect to the third floor. We love the third floor of the sports arena, but uh, it's a little bit different when you have your own building and certainly uh, can, can see that. We've seen it in the league. You know, South Alabama has uh, has certainly got some marquee games at Auburn uh, in a sellout game last year. You know, they're planning for bigger and better as is Troy. So uh, the opportunity is there. And as you're starting to see more folks, uh, I think one of the positives that have come from this pandemic, you've seen regional scheduling. I think that's, that's going to be attractive there as well. Certainly saw the Tech Series get scheduled, and, and that's with the goal of having uh, the game there uh, downtown in the uh, Convocation Center. So uh, it's it's a huge, huge win. I mean, the recruits talk about it. They know what's coming. They've seen the conversations. They've, they've seen the, the drawings and, and things that way. They're, they're excited about it. So I think that's a good opportunity to kind of pivot to the second half of this segment and talk about some of our wishes and wants for the new arena. Because I think one of the greatest strengths of the third floor, small and old and outdated as it may be, is that it's that environment where if it's full, you have 3,500 people. It gets loud in that room. And if you have a traditional arena, so to speak, with that kind of a crowd, obviously the atmosphere is not even going to be close to the same. But I, w- I would want to see some sort of engagement with the community and enticement to create this environment where you have the ability to have a similar type of feel and atmosphere without necessarily having to go right out of the gate and have 8,000 people in the room. I don't know if that is something that is possible f- strictly from a facility standpoint, but I think there's a lot of opportunities with a lot of the new technologies and engagement opportunities we have to entice people to come out to that. Well, the first thing is you got to get a, a, you know, Pack event going on the the top level. <laughs> Build that into the new arena. I'd love the opportunity to close off half of our seating to, <laughs> at, at will to incorporate pack events just to maintain you know the the, the lifeblood of the program. 
Now, that's one of those things that you could easily incorporate as part of a like a premium seating area and not take away half of the seating of the entire building. You could have you could have a pack lounge that doesn't necessarily have to close, mm-hmm. but also isn't going to be something that's going to keep season ticket holders from actually being in their seats during the game. And looking a big back on sticking TV. point, big sticking point we we need to have in the new arena. The the uh, TV side's got to be full. Yes. It is, it's, it's so easy when you're in the planning stage of something like this to figure out the best way to make it look good on TV instead of, oh, hey, we have a spot up here in the middle yeah. of this six, six and a half floor to put a camera up there. Like, okay, well, you, you get to design for the ground up. Make something look good. I will say just on a – because I'm so used to the sports arena level, being in an arena where there's actually like full-on seating behind the rim – is going to be different in a George State arena. Just come used to the the seats, like the where the football team usually congregates, right behind where it's like what two rows, yeah. standing room only. It's going to be weird to be in a George State arena that likely is going to have a whole lot of seating behind there, where presumably students are actually going to go. I remember that a lot of uh, friends of ours uh, when we were still in school at the marching band took a trip to Troy. Uh, I believe it was oh, 2013, yes. 2014. It and was. We, were, yeah. we ended up sitting right behind the the basket on i mean i don't even know if you'd call it a home or a wayside we were opposite of where the band was sitting um so they were kind of tucked up behind the other basket and honestly i had a great experience i mean just being that close to it um you know coming from a place of really only ever having watched games uh like college basketball games from the perspective being in the band getting at least that much closer as a fan um it could definitely add uh, a lot to the experience so i definitely would be looking for i mean just looking at some of the renderings here um, that we had posted on the article that we had uh, previously released when we had gotten more updates and seeing, you know, uh, the, 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 the whole sections behind the, the baskets definitely, I feel like will add an extra element of, uh, you know, fan engagement and kind of atmosphere that the sports arena and the third floor really aren't delivering right now. Something else I also want to touch on in one of these renderings uh, of the interior, um, I'm seeing like a big sky, wi- uh, like skyline uh, facing window um, facing into downtown, which I would definitely want um, included if I had a, uh, you know, to kind of put a personal, um, you know, wishes and wants list together. Uh, because I feel like that's a really unique and cool facet about going to school at Georgia State. And I really want, you know, new elements of, uh, you know, buildings and facilities to kind of lean into that and kind of uh, embrace the fact that it is a school right in the middle of downtown. And you are, you know, a, right a part of everything that's happening in one of the most, you know, vibrant and, you know, busy cities in the southeast. So definitely some sort of incorporation of the like skyline view, hopefully, because it's in a cool spot, like right Right across the the highway is pretty much you know you have uh, the new stadium the Mercedes Benz you have you know all these super cool buildings and it's a nice vista um, given where they've they've already started to uh, lay plans in for that that would be something that I would be looking forward to. Now, Ben, did you have any specific wants or uh, wish list items for the new arena? Yeah, I like and I, I agree with the glass pane. You know, the the view out. Uh, I think Mercedes Benz uh, did a great job of kind of building that. When you're in there, you kind of feel like you're a part of the city, not not away from it. Uh, in, in that standpoint, and, and I agree. Um, you know, the the behind the seat, you know, behind the uh, goal seating is going to be different. But I think it's another opportunity as well uh, to put fans in a place where they probably have have never been uh, for Georgia State basketball. Uh, you know, event. I've, I've gone to to games. Um, you know, at Tech, at UGA, uh, down to Auburn, 
uh, other places like that. And, and that's part of the experience, you know, going in there and, and, and being the wild and crazy uh, folks behind the basket on free throws and things like that. And, and uh, you know, we've seen certainly that ebb and flow in the sports arena. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you know, the opportunity certainly for suites as well. You know, I went down uh, UCS old arena. They had suites that were right behind the basket. And I thought that was uh, interesting, but it almost took away from some of the, um, you know, experience there because you walked in kind of into a wall and had, you know, a, a less bright seating, almost like a, a high school gymnasium, basically. So uh, there is a lot of a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of things that you can uh, fill out. I think the seating capacity is going to be an interesting thing as well. As we have, have seen, certainly Sunbelt across the league uh, just does not draw well. And, and if they're continuing to kind of go this Thursday, Saturday route or even Thursday, Sunday route, um, you're not going to have enormous crowds. So do you, do you, you know, ratchet that back, at, you know, for certain things for basketball or, or open it up? Uh, it definitely needs flexibility for not only events uh, that you can put there, uh, but for basketball specifically. So uh, I think that's uh, that's the fun part for for us to continue to kind of look and see uh, what it's going to look like. Uh, you know, we want uh, an improvement in and, in and out of the building, and that's been a, a big thing certainly in the sports arena. We know uh, it's building locked, so it's, it's kind of difficult to get in and out of there. On game days, you have a whole lot more parking now, so you have a whole lot more entrances uh, there. And I know, as we've seen the last few years, uh, certainly for big games for the sports arena, uh, folks can miss tip if they uh, get stuck on the, on the escalator there. So, um, or that, on that, Collins Street. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's definitely something that I would add is uh, better parking infrastructure uh, would definitely be a very high uh, item on my list. Um, one, because just hopefully if you're building an 8,000-person arena, you're offering ample and available parking to accommodate hopefully a full crowd every night. Um, and as to not get bottlenecked in the basically one real entrance in and out of the arena after those games. Obviously, in our case, when we're staying after and you know covering the, the press game or the post-game press conference and stuff, it doesn't really affect us as much. But I know from a fan perspective, getting in and out uh, right around the time of uh, tip-off and right after the game ends is kind of a nightmare, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, Collins Street is kind of a... Uh wasn't built for 2020. Yeah. It's, it's a pressure cooker when, especially when the team buses get there and you have entire turn lanes that are blocked off for like 10 minutes at a time. I think the, the new location is going to be better in that regard, but I wouldn't count on a lot of parking being available because keep in mind, Georgia State is not going to own most of those parking lots when this is all said and done. They're going to be developed. And from what I've seen in the plans, there's going to be a parking deck somewhere around there. But uh, if you're trying to create a walkable kind of a community type environment, you can't have acres of parking. You're going to have to condense it into lots and decks in one spot, and you're going to have to mobilize transit as well. But as we know with Atlanta, that's that, that, that's, that's a topic for a not sports centered podcast. But <laughs> yeah, it's I think uh, parking is going to be an issue, especially as the. Uh, Summerhill area continues to grow and develop, and there's going to be a lot of the tailgating space lost, which athletics has kind of tried to get ahead of with offering the on the plaza tailgating that a lot of people have taken advantage of. But uh, I think if you have the chance to build from the ground up and get the planning done the right way, you can have entry and egress be factored in in a way that's not going to cause five, six, seven hundred people standing outside in a line waiting to scan their ticket to go up one escalator. We can hope. And 
I really do think it's the same thing with the new football stadium where there's a hope that if we build it, they'll come and that the new fancy stadium that is a lot easier to deal with is going to bring up the fan attendance because sure the basketball team struggled down the stretch last year, but like they were leading the Sun Belt most of the year or near the top in points and in tempo. And it was exactly the type of like exciting basketball that in theory people want to watch and the attendance still didn't really click. And I think that especially now that the excuses are running out with new stadium coming, you have to worry about getting the players to stay interested recruiting class on recruiting class and also keeping coaches that are doing well. If coach on the year is still here in a few years and success is happening, but the fan interest isn't there and the attendance isn't there and it's not what he's used to as he's been around some really established programs, it might be easier for him to take the call from someone saying we're offering you this job at this power conference school. So I think all of this stuff builds on top of each other. And so it's going to be interesting to see in total what the new arena can add. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. I'd, of course, like to thank our guest, Ben Moore, from PantherTalk.com for joining us and kind of getting into some football and facilities talk. I'd uh, love to have you back again soon. And obviously, uh, you know, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, fellas. All right. Thanks uh, for listening, guys. We will uh, see you in the next episode. Go Panthers. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.